All right, well, this morning's study is on the Holy Spirit, on the lesson, the Spirit of Holiness. So this is part one of a two-part series of chapter seven from the book from Sinclair Ferguson. And we've adapted this for Sunday school purposes, so a lot of what we're going to be going over is really from the book, uh, either indirect references or quotes. And so Desmond has been covering the last two weeks really the doctrine of regeneration, but tying in how the Holy Spirit is involved and working out this idea of new life in Christ. And what does that mean as a result of our uh, union with Christ, being identified with Christ? And so so he, he went through and then kind of worked out what some of those implications look like as a result of new life in Christ. And this morning and next week, we're going to be focusing on the subject of holiness because it is the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do is start with, uh, on your your notes, one uh, catechism question dealing with holiness. Because this is going to, there's going to be heavy overlap between what we have in this catechism question and then what Ferguson works out for us over the next two weeks as it relates to holiness, or another word for it is sanctification, right? That's the same, same idea. So, I will read the question, and then we will all respond to the answer. Question, what is sanctification? Answer, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. All right, that's beautiful. That's excellent. So, and there's that quote up there that this really is like the um, key theme, if you will, where Ferguson says, in a word for the New Testament, sanctification or holiness is Christ-likeness, or as various theologians throughout the history of the church have described it, Christiformity. So Christ-likeness. That's really at the heart of sanctification. So on our notes, the first section, the spirit of holiness. So we said the goal of sanctification is conformity to Christ. And we're going to unpack that this week and next week. And Ferguson says, in a word, for the New Testament, or we, we just read that, in regards to uh, uh, sanctification or holiness is Christ-likeness, conformity to Christ. And so tied to this idea of conformity is the idea of image or likeness, right? So you, when you're conforming to something, it's to make that imprint or impression, right? And we, as people created by God, are God's images. We are made in his likeness. Turn with me to a familiar text. This, this, um, uh, uh, to Genesis chapter 1. And we have a couple key texts that we're going, that we're going to look at here because I want to just set like a real high-level overview and then we're going to work out some of those details as we, as we go through this lesson. So Genesis 1, I think you guys know where we're going. Verses 26 and 27, right? That 
uh, that classic text on the image of God. So if I can have uh, a volunteer uh, or anyone willing to read verses 26 and 27. All right, great. Michelle, can you get verse 28 as well? I missed that. All right, excellent. So this is that classic text dealing with the image of God. Man is made to image and reflect God in all his glory and extend God's glory through man's dominion over the earth and take it to the ends of the earth, right? We see that in verse 28, right? Uh, be, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? All the earth. Because these images, as they spread across God's earth, what are they going to be doing? Reflecting God, right? And so it's God showing through man's dominion his glory through man and woman's reflection of how great he is all over the earth. The earth was to become a temple, the place of God's special dwelling, whereby man would be able or could love and glorify God in that special or unique way as God draw, drew near to him. Right? And we, and we, and, um, when we look at our uh, uh, Sunday school, that was the last Sunday school series we went through. We were really hitting on this idea of, of temple and God's special presence and this priestly idea. So I'd refer, refer, refer you back um, uh, as that is a really good reminder. But we all know the story, right? But instead, man didn't image God, right? But fell from his covenant standing with God. And this was on account of sin. And, and we're reminded of the text before sin from Psalm 8.5, where he says, you have crowned him that's referring to uh, um, uh, Adam and Eve in the, in the garden to, to that special creation. You have crowned him with glory and honor. So in a sense, because of sin, and this is important, man and woman lost a sense of humanness or humanity on account of sin. Right, and, 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 we, and we, use, we use terms, you know, defiled, corruption, broken, right? But this is going to be really important when we think about sanctification because sanctification is not anything more than what was originally intended, which is humanity in its fullness, right? And we're going to see how this is worked out through the Holy Spirit. So turn on me to another familiar text. To Romans chapter 3. Again, this is just a high-level overview as we're going to be tying in this theme of image. Right? And this idea of, of, of Adam in particular with this glory and honor that he was crowned with as, as the image and federal head. So in Romans chapter 3, in verse 
23, if I could have someone read verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, excellent. A very familiar text. But I want us to think about this for a minute. Because when we talk about glory here, this is not necessarily the glory of God in the sense of his attributes or perfections, right? But this is glory that is conferred upon man and woman. It is a glory that is to be received and participated in. Real quick, just keep your finger there and go to Romans 5. Um, oh, let's see here. And go to verse, go to verse 5. I'm sorry. Nope. I'm sorry. It's verse, uh, verse 2. Romans 5, 2, where it says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the what? Of the glory of God. So this is a glory that is to be participated in. It's a glory that is received. It is, it, it, it's essentially heightened, irreversible blessing from God. Right, Blessing in its fullness, in its fullest form. Now, how does that tie back into... Genesis 1, right? So when we look at Romans 3, and we, and we have this idea that glory is something that was forfeited, right, on account of sin. It is something that we were, um, we were made with the intent to receive. And now we know, right, through Adam's fall and through the coming and death and resurrection of Christ, this is glory that is received at the resurrection, right? In its fullness. So how does this relate to image? So man was made both mutable, right? Which means that there's an ability for him to change. He was made in the state of innocence, but he could, he could change. And man was also made, and this is a, a, a larger term, eschatological or what that means is he was made with a purpose and he did not have that purpose in its fullest form right so it's like a tree when you plant a seed right that seed grows into a tree over time and that tree is that full form right in a sense man and woman made as image were in that seed form with the goal to become that full-formed tree, right? And, and so, um, but this honor that was conferred, like we saw in, in um, Psalm 8, 5, this, this crown of honor that was given, it was lost, right? It was lost because that covenant was broken all the way back with, with Adam, as it says in Romans 5, when he fell. And now... And now that has, like we said, implications for what it means to be human. So this, this ability is lost with what God had intended. And as a result, sin has now marred and broken this image so that we no longer reflect accurately the good God who made us, right? So again, how's that going to tie in to being more human as God's images? We're getting there. So one more, we got two more texts. So one more text. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So keep going a little bit to the right. right? So this glory was lost on account of sin. And then like we said, but God sent a Redeemer. So 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 49. And whoever gets there, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, go ahead and read it. All right, excellent. And I don't remember what lesson it was. Uh, this is probably three or four weeks ago. We spent a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians 15. And, and we were comparing 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 45 uh, on, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and through 22, and Romans 5, and how it related to Adam and Christ and this relationship between the two. But in verse 49, notice the contrast, Right? Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, and we know the man of dust from earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, is Adam, right? But, but look at, as we are united to Christ by faith and through the Holy Spirit, what do we have here? This promise, we shall also bear what? The image of the man of heaven. Right, And so now, and this is going to go into that already not yet tension that we've been trying to bring out, right, as it relates to the Holy Spirit. There's an already sense in which this is inaugurated or it's started or it's begun, right? And then on that final day, it will come in its fullest form, in completion or consummation. And that's what this promise is here in verse 49, that we will fully bear that image of the man of heaven, right, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, right, and just really, uh, it's, it's, it's breathtaking realities, right, and so how does this tie in? This is that same, if you will, image uh, in its fullness that was intended when Adam was created, but Christ, he himself has fulfilled, and that is, namely, irreversible glory as the image of God in its ultimate and fullest fulfillment. All right, so one more text. And this, this to me is like, I should have just like printed this on the top of your notes. I apologize. I was like debating to put text on there. This is one of them, right? This is like, when you think about sanctification and the Holy Spirit, you want to be thinking this text. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in verse 18, to me, now again, this is not like the one verse on sanctification, right? But to me, this verse is so weighty. It is uh, so important and helpful. And again, I'm, now I'm going to say this about several other verses. So, you know, I'm trying not to like overstate my case here. But, <laughs> but, but this, is, this is one of those really important texts. So we can have someone read... Um, Second uh, Corinthians chapter three and verse eighteen. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. So this comes from the Lord. All right, beautiful. This is just excellent. And so, when you think, how does the Spirit relate to sanctification? I want this to be one of the texts that you remember. 
right? How does the Spirit work? It's the Spirit who is working and transforming us, right? This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now to tie this in, so when we read this text, this is, um, uh, when we talk about 1 Corinthians 15, 49 from earlier, this future reality, right, of participating in the glory of God, in hope of the glory of God, right, Romans 5, which is in our state of resurrection, there is this already aspect, right? And that's what we're seeing in verse 18. We are already or currently being transformed. But notice it in verse 18, right? Where it says, from one degree of glory to another. And how does this happen? It happens by the Holy Spirit. And what we see progressing, and albeit slowly, right, when, when, when we're honest about our own sanctification, right, the slow progression from one degree of glory to another, it will ultimately have its complete and fullest form when the Spirit transforms us in the day of resurrection. Namely, and this is, this is going to tie back, namely, as images of Christ. Remember that phrase from Ferguson earlier, Christiformity, right? To be formed uh, in the likeness of Christ. So, Ferguson has a helpful summary. He says, As the image of God, man was created to reflect, express, and participate in the glory of God in miniature creaturely form. Restoration to this is affected through the Spirit's work of sanctification in which he takes those who have distorted God's image in the shame of sin and transforms them into those who bear that image in glory. All right, so on your notes. Holiness in the Old Testament. So Ferguson gives us a little biblical theological lesson as we work our way. And so now we'll take a look in the Old Testament because it's going to show a similar goal and a similar pattern, uh, although it's in more of a veiled form. And that'll be important when we talk about sanctification in the New Testament or in the New Covenant. Now, when we think about the biblical Hebrew and Greek terms for holiness, the first denotation that comes to mind is separation, right? We think of holiness as being separate from, not defiled by, right? And, and that's good. And this is, this is biblical. But I think there's, there's also another piece that we need to make sure we include, and that's to give us this comprehensive picture of holiness. And that is this idea of consecration. So if separation it uses the preposition from, we think of this idea of consecration or dedication and the preposition to, right? From something to something else. And when we think of holiness related to God, we think of God being different then and separate from all creation and his complete dedication to himself and to his glory, right? Or as like, the, you see the biblical phrase, for his namesake, right? 
When God makes his people holy by grace, he is, and this is to quote Ferguson, separating them for his own possession and purpose. Right? So we see that idea of separation and consecration all tied into one with this idea of possession and purpose. God reorients people through regeneration and giving life to their dead wills so that they can become aligned to God in his purpose of holiness, which is what? Namely, to glorify himself. So when we think about this, to be holy is to be dedicated to God and to reflect his glory, right? And that ties in to that idea of image, when we tie in this idea of reflection. So this idea is even in the Old Testament. Sometimes we can think of discontinuity when we think of the Old Testament because of its types and shadows, and we miss some of that continuity or sameness uh, that is intended for us, that runs through as a backbone through the whole Bible. And we've mentioned this in previous lessons, that Paul and the other New Testament apostles approach sanctification with these two I words. There is the indicative and the imperative. And we're going to see that this idea of indicative and imperative is even in the Old Testament. Now, what do we mean by indicative and imperative? Does anyone remember again? I know those are... uh, um, Uh, It honestly wasn't until I had to uh, look at other languages where they used other words to describe things, right? So indicative, that's referring to a proposition or statement, right? Some kind of fact of reality. There's, There's no exhortation, no command, right? It's just a statement of truth. And then imperative is that exhortation. It's that command laid at your feet. You have to do something, right? And... We see this with Paul and the other New Testament apostles where they explain or lay out a truth about us in Christ. And then as a result, they put at our feet the imperatives, right? I'll give give you an example, right? Um, uh, uh, Right. We have been raised indicative, right? There's there's nothing we're doing there. It's, It's a statement of reality. We have been raised to life with Christ in his resurrection. Therefore, walk imperative, command in newness of life. Right? We see this in Romans 6 and verses 1 through 4. So why do we walk in newness of life? Because of who we are in Christ. Right? Really, obedience in that sense is the outworking of who we are in Christ. It's an outworking of of that already true reality, right? Uh, If you will, become what you already are, right? There's that tension. So in the Old Testament, I want us to look at, we're going to do two texts actually. So turn with me into uh, the book of Leviticus. So holiness in the Old Testament, right? And we're looking at this uh, uh, indicative and imperative. And this is, not something new that the apostles... So Leviticus 11, verse 44. It's not something new to the New Testament because it is the same God of grace. It's the same God who initiates. The same God 
who initiated covenant with Abraham, the same God who draws near, right? So Leviticus 11, and then if I can have someone read verses 44 and 45. Excellent. And do you notice that in verses 44 and 45? Do you see that imperative and do you see that indicative? Right? Um, Because we see in verse 45, God redeemed his people from Egypt, right? Notice that in verse 45 where it says, um, or I'm sorry, in verse 44 where he says, consecrate yourselves Therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Right? And so this is going to compare this idea where we have the indicative, what God has already done, the command, be holy, and then who we are to reflect. Right? When we talk about that reflection terminology, what is it tying us back to? That concept of image. Right? Be holy like God is holy. And what are we then doing? We are reflecting who God is, namely, His holiness. And we can see the same idea in Exodus 20. So go back one more book. Exodus 20, right? So, if you will, the intro to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20. And I'll read verses uh, 1 through 3. Exodus 20, verses 1, 2, and 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? And that's the first of the Ten Commandments. We see that the people of Israel are reminded of God's work, namely redeeming them from Egypt, saving them from that bondage, and then it's followed by commands. Uh, and, and, and like we said, it's not any commands generally, but the Ten Commandments in particular. So they are to be holy as God is holy, but then instead of that just being this ethereal concept, Right, that is hard to understand, God then will use commands to help bring that into focus or clarity. Right? What does it look like to be holy like God is holy? And then God says, first and foremost, don't have any other gods besides me. Right? It, it's laid out in that form of commands. So, any questions so far with what we have kind of seen so far, right? You know, holiness uh, by the Spirit and um, holiness in the Old Testament before we hop in. Any, any comments or questions? Yeah, Michelle. Mm.
Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and I think um, when we think about, um, yeah, no, that, that, that's awesome. That's super encouraging. Super encouraging. That's great. Yeah. Yes. You said something that was really interesting. He says, we're always image bearing. We're either bearing the image of God or bearing the image of Satan. Yes. But, you know, it's not like we're just neutral. Yes. Excellent point. Yeah, that's such a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's the thing is we think that we can be lulled into neutrality or this like gray area where it's, you know, doesn't matter almost, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right, well, let's hop into holiness in the New Testament, All right? Because we're looking at, um, uh, like, like we started with, you know, holiness is Christ-likeness or Christiformity. We see this idea of um, uh, uh, God uh, transforming us as God's image into greater degrees of likeness to Christ until that great day of resurrection. And then in the Old Testament, this indicative and imperative and how even God's people then were to reflect God's image. It was, there, were, there were no gaps, if you will. God's people have always been called to reflect God in his glory. So, question. What, and this is not, uh, this is not meant to be rhetorical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think will be similar between Old Testament and New Testament holiness? What do you think will be similar when we think about uh, um, the two testaments? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's laid out that there's, that there's um, imperatives that are pressed on all of God's people. Yes, and that, 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 that spans, you know, Genesis to Revelation. Yes, yeah, exactly. That idea is going to trace its way all the way through. Yeah, and that, and that ties back into Michelle from that glory aspect. Yeah, holiness, yeah. Oh, no, oh, you didn't have your hand? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take that back then. <laughs> um, like how you were talking about how the, um, the imperative comes before the indicative. Or indicative before the imperative, yep. The same with like Ephesians. Like the first three chapters are about the gospel. Yes. Exactly. Yes. No. Nope. Exactly. There's 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 been that pattern of indicative what God in His sovereign grace does for His people, and then the the imperative that He then puts upon His people, namely, "Be holy as I am holy," which is worked out in commands. Right. He lays at their feet. This is what that looks like. Yep. Excellent. All right. Great. And um, follow up question. What do you think? is different between Old Testament and New Testament holiness? Uh, 
try to do it on their own, and the New Testament God does help. He conforms us. He does. He helps do the work for us. So, I I think in, in both God would still be active through the Spirit in in changing His people, um, but I think that's that that's a. Yeah. No. Yeah, I was just going to add when when you read through Leviticus in particular, you see the uh, the commands given by God of prescription for holiness, which is through the sacrificial system that was instituted. Yes. It's fulfilled in Christ, and so therefore um, we are holy in Him by virtue of His work, and called to live that out. And so we're not uh, we're not under that sacrificial system any longer as a writer of Hebrews labors to the insufficiency of it. Yes, so yes. people draw near to God, we draw near through the finished work of Christ, who is the fulfillment of all the types and the shadows of the Old Testament that the people were required to perform in order to enter into the presence of God. No, excellent. And I think that, that ties in when we think about types and shadows, right? That there was a greater reality that is realized in the new covenant in Christ's blood, right? God the Son becoming man in his blood. And, um, yeah, no, absolutely, right? Kind of laying that out uh, from, from the standpoint of, of redemption. Um, and, we, and we see this with greater clarity and description in the New Testament. So, um, and Ferguson, he has a helpful quote that I want, it's, it's a little longer, where he kind of helps capture some of this continuity or discontinuity. Similarness and not similarness in regards to holiness between the two testaments. He says, The motive, goal, and pattern of sanctification in the New Testament have the basic and same structure as in the Old, although the content of each is now more fully, or notice this, Christocentrically defined. And he says, "One, The goal is the same, the restoration of the divine image, Ephesians 4.24, Colossians 3.10. And two, the pattern is the same. The indicatives of God's gracious self-revelation give rise to the imperatives of heart and life conformity to Him. But now, motive, goal, and pattern are more sharply focused in Jesus Christ. Right, so there's this clarity that comes as a result. What was revealed in an opaque or dark way, right, or um, uh, uh, and, and fragmentary, or or by bits and pieces in the old covenant is made plain in the new covenant. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, who is the telos, which is the the Greek word for goal or fulfillment. Christ is the goal or fulfillment of the covenant. Sanctification means being restored to the glory image of God by being made like Jesus Christ. Now I'm just going to pause for a second. There's a lot there. That was, that was a lot, right? Um, and this is going to tie back into what we said earlier, that sanctification... In, in, in one sense, is to be restored to be fully human, right? It's regaining something that has become broken. It is nothing more than 
being human in its fullest. So there's a couple of texts that I, that I want to look at, right? Especially with this idea related to image and, um, and this pattern of um, um, uh, indicative and imperative and, and, and being conformed to Christ's image. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And there's a similar phenomenon in, in Colossians chapter 3. In, uh, in Ephesians um, chapter 4, in verses 22 to 24. And if I can have someone read verses uh, 22 to 24. It's interesting. So how many times have we read this text, right? And we go over it, but we don't pick up on um, uh, that, that full picture of image in verse 24, right? Where it's like, hey, put off, put on, we're being transformed and changed. And then we start working our way through, what does that look like, right? And then you start reading like verse 25, where it talks about... Um, uh, you know, put off falsehood, etc. Right where it's, and then it's like concrete. What does that look like to put off the old man and put on the new man? Right, but but we skip over, or, or at least I can. It's easy for us when we look at verse twenty-four, where it says, "And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Notice that. Notice that. Sanctification in one sense, is a restoration to what we had back in the garden, right? But in Christ, it is to take it to its fullest form. So we see this idea of conformity, right? That we're being restored into true conformity, no longer in this broken conformity that doesn't reflect God, right? Because it is broken and it is corrupt. Ferguson says, this is the matter or content of obedience in the new covenant. This idea of the old and new self, or the old and the new man, and then conformity of image and likeness. And one text that really helps to drive this home, that it's not likeness of God generally, but likeness of God in particular with reference to Christ or Christocentrically, right? Christ as the center. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. So a couple, couple books back. <clears throat> yeah, such a good text. And we will just look at verse 29. If someone's willing to read Romans 8, 29. Excellent. So, who are we to be conformed to? The image of his son. So again, that's just going back. Sanctification is Christiformity, right? It is to be conformed 
to the image of Christ in particular. This is the ultimate goal of new covenant holiness. And how does Christ complete this work of holiness or sanctification? Right? He does it by indwelling us through His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. So, on your notes, we've seen the Spirit of holiness, and then holiness in the Old Testament, and holiness in the New Testament, and now really, uh, this last section, Christ sanctified for us, and then the rest of the what we'll cover next week is all really unpacking holiness in the New Testament. It's going to really just unpack and help us to really saturate and glory in what our union with Christ looks like with reference to sanctification. So, under the heading, Christ sanctified for us. And I want to start out with a quote with Ferguson, because really this is hitting on the idea of the, um, of the high priest, right? And this, this idea from the Old Testament. So Ferguson says, Under the Old Covenant, the high priest, as representative of the people, underwent a rigorous process of ceremonial sanctification in preparation for his role in the ritual of the Day of Atonement. So too, the high priest who is greater than Aaron must sanctify himself for the true sacrificial ministry of atonement. Now, this is really important, right? It's because we're, we're picking up on that Old Testament type and shadow of the high priest in the Mosaic Covenant, right? And how he had to consecrate and separate himself so he could make atonement, right? Now, that type and shadow, now the anti-type or the reality has come in Christ and his role as high priest and his consecration or dedication so that way he could complete the true sacrifice for sins and in that way sanctify us. So turn to, so go two more books back, right? Go to the book of John. So we got a good portion through Acts and then go to John 17. So John 17, you probably will have this in your Bible if you have headings. John 17 is that high priestly prayer of Jesus. So in John 13, we get into that upper room discourse. You think about the Gospels, right? They cover three years of the life of Christ. And John takes four chapters of his 21 chapters and highlights this upper room discourse, right? So he's really bringing this out. And in John 17, Jesus prays in this, uh, uh, in this priestly manner, right? Or, 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 or in the sense of this, high priest. And, and we, I want to focus on verses 17 through 19 of chapter, chapter 17, where he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, verse 19 is what I want to focus on. And for their sake, what? I consecrate myself. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So notice that. Christ sets himself apart as high priest so that we and our union with him 
may also be set apart or holy or sanctified. Jesus lived a life of complete dedication and consecration to God in absolute and full obedience from childhood even through, as, as Ron's preaching in Mark, uh, up through the, the trial and suffering in his passion. In all these things, he was obedient to God unto death. And he did so not for his own sins, but as our representative. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died. And he did this as part of his ministry as high priest, high priest of the people. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. If I can have someone read uh, verses 10 through 12 of Hebrews chapter 2. Excellent. Jesus, to quote Ferguson, is the author of sanctification. It's pioneer. And if you look in verse 10, and look where it says, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That word founder can also be translated pioneer. If you will, Jesus is the trailblazer. He's the one who goes forward, right, by himself. He's the one who goes and accomplishes. It is through his sanctification and what he accomplishes for us as high priest that we then, through our union with him, also are sanctified. And I think that is really important, right, because it's easy for us to see holiness or sanctification as something we do for God. Right? It's like, here is my subjective response, but in reality, that emphasis starts with what God has done in Christ and how he completely consecrated and separated himself and as high priest identified with his people by becoming flesh and then as our representative died in our place. That, that is the emphasis that starts sanctification, right, of Jesus and our being defined in him as holy, right? Because remember, remember that indicative and imperative? You are to become what you already are. You are holy in Christ, now be holy, right? In fact, um, turn to 1 Corinthians, uh, we'll go back, go, go to 1 Corinthians one thirty, because I want us to see this idea. I think it was uh, John Murray who, who had penned the phrase definitive sanctification, where it is not sanctification in the sense of what you do, but it is sanctification in its already completed aspect of who you are in Christ. And this is one of those texts where I, where I want us to see this. 
where there's no progressive aspect of you being changed, but it is you in Christ being defined as completely holy. Notice this in 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 30, where he says, and because of him, you are what? In Christ, right? Union with Christ. In Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and what? And sanctification and redemption. Right? So, so we see this idea when we talk about our union with Christ and what he has already purchased for us. And so Ferguson does this really beautifully. He draws out how Hebrews 2, with Jesus' perfection or completion in his humanity, and then our union to Christ, help us to know true sanctification as it relates to being God's image or in his likeness. And Ferguson says, Now the relevance of this for sanctification comes to the surface. The nature of sanctification is that it is true God-likeness. But true God-likeness in human form is Christ-likeness. Since Christ-likeness is the full expression of the image of God in man, notice this, true sanctification is true humanness. And I want to read that again where he says, but true God-likeness in human form is Christ-likeness. Since Christ-likeness is the full expression of the image of God in man, true sanctification is true humanness. I don't know about you, but that just like blows my mind, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. No, absolutely, right? It's amazing how that's reoriented. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um Oh. Yeah. No. Yes. 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 
Yes. And to think about like how he gives us these pictures or understanding or concepts for us to truly understand what we get brought into, right? Where it's like we have to borrow these categories because it's so good, you have to use them to explain it, right? All right. Um, all right. So how does this tie back to the Holy Spirit, right? Because this, you know, this is a, we're kind of like unpacking this, and now it's like, all right, let's, let's kind of come back around in like 90 seconds. What is that text I told you to write down? 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? Just go there again. It's that good. We're going to, th- this is one, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, doing what? Beholding the glory of the Lord, in particular it's the Lord Jesus, are being transformed into the same image, image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, the Spirit not only draws us into union with Christ by faith, but then it is the same Spirit who is now working in us to transform this image to greater degrees of glory. How? By us beholding who? Christ. So, Really, uh, really, really just awesome stuff. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to come to a close here. But, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's go ahead and close and thank the Lord. Lord God, we worship you and thank you for this time this morning. And we ask that you would use this to continue to stir up our souls, to worship you, to draw near to you, and to love you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would strengthen our hearts through his spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.